What's up and welcome back to the Locked on Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko and normally I would be joined by David Harrison right now, but he's traveling for work. So I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Pewter Plank contributor Bailey Adams. Bailey, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, James. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm as well as can be expected. It, it was a very hectic day capped off by a craptastic Buccaneers performance. It felt a lot like last week, to be honest. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I think it's just a cycle at this point. We're going to get into it every Sunday for the rest of December, and then we'll be sad all offseason. Yeah, only three weeks of misery left. <laughs> so you can find us on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at the Pewter Plank. I am at JYarko underscore Bucks, and Bailey is at BaileyJAdams22. Tonight, we're, of course, going to get into the recap of the Buccaneers and Lions game where the Lions emerged victorious 24 to 21. Uh, we're going to get our overall thoughts on the game. Bailey and I are each going to give two big takeaways. And then we're going to get into a little bit of um, controversial news that dropped before the game involving head coach Dirk Cutter and quarterback Jameis Winston. So with that, Bailey, let's go ahead and dive into our overall thoughts of the game. And, of course, you do a piece uh, following every game, and, and you're real good about making sure that it's up, like, ridiculously fast, where you do your immediate reactions, just kind of emotions and, and takeaways and all that. So why don't you dive in a little bit to what your overall reactions were to the Lions uh, beating the Bucks in Raymond James Stadium? Um, all right, I think to start with, we'll go – into my feeling, I think when it went to 21 to seven, I was just about as low as I've been on the Bucks in a long time. And then they got back to 21 to 21, and I felt hope again. I don't know why I <laughs> fell into that trap, but um, just from there, the defense fell apart again. It, it just felt a lot like last week. I said that earlier because there were points in both the Packers and the Lions game where the Bucks looked like they were figuring something out offensively, and then they were just fall apart defensively at the same time and you know the Bucks got that they got the tying touchdown and even got the ball back with a chance to go up um late in the fourth quarter failed to do that again the defense fell apart allowed the game-winning field goal but yeah I think overall I think the big takeaway I'm not going to get into our takeaways yet but one of one of my reactions was um it was another very pedestrian performance from Jameis Winston and mm -hmm. I want I would like to get your thoughts on that because I think his his turnovers are going to tell one story, and then if you take the turnovers out, the the rest of the game. I mean, he looked fine, but it's just the turnovers each week are are frustrating and it's it's concerning a little bit. I just like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of my my overall reactions to the game mirror yours quite a bit, and. As far as Jameis and his turnovers go, I actually dive into this in my Monday morning pick six for this week. Here's my issue with, with Jameis's turnovers, at least just specifically about the Lions. I, Jameis is going to get knocked for having two interceptions in this game. And one could make the incredibly valid argument that neither one of those interceptions were actually on Jameis. You know, you could maybe pin the the first one on him when Darius Slay just made a heck of a break on the ball, and it, it looked like Deshaun Jackson had no interest in 
making an effort for the ball. But that interception on the first possession of the second half, when he overthrew OJ Howard and, and Howard was blatantly held like infuriatingly held to no flag, nothing. And so the, the ball fell right into, uh, yeah, the, the ball fell right into Diggs's hands. So I don't put that on Jameis at all. If anything, that should have been either defensive holding with an automatic first down or, you know, spot foul pass interference. But when you have a timing route and the defender disrupts the timing after the ball's already in the air, there's nothing you can do about that. So I do, I do get frustrated with some of Jameis's decisions. Uh, I do get frustrated with how it seems like sometimes he just doesn't learn from the mistakes that he's made in the past. You know, last week against the Packers is a great example when he was on the verge of going down and just tried to flip the ball out, lost it, gets returned for a touchdown. I mean, those are the kind of things where it's okay to take a sack. And I saw him do that against the Lions. It looked like he was getting ready to throw the ball when the pressure was getting there. And then he just tucked it and went down and took the sack. And it's like, that's, it's not a great play, but it's the smart play in that situation. But it it does seem like Jameis has had some regression this year. I'm not one to give up on him. I'm not one to say we need to run him out of town or we should draft a quarterback in the first round or let's sign Kirk Cousins or we should go after Eli Manning or just any number of crazy ideas. But I do get slightly irritated that we haven't seen the growth that we should have seen or that we expected to this point. I'm I'm thinking that you and I are very have very similar views on this because I think the Buccaneers have way more issues to take care of before they get to the quarterback. And I think I don't even think honestly, personally, I don't think quarterback is that big of an issue at all. But if you want to put it on a list, it's probably the seventh or eighth thing that you'd get to. There are just so many more issues. And I, I did I made the same point you did in my reactions piece. Um I, I talked about I looked like Deshaun Jackson didn't come back on that route. And yeah, Darius Slay made a very good play on that ball. And there's nothing he can do about OJ Howard getting held. And I honestly, I want to say the fumble, the fumble I think was on him a little bit, but even he said, I don't have eyes in the back of my head. It looked like he was kind of thinking about taking off and then the defender came out from behind him and, and hit the ball loose. But yeah, like you said, I don't think, I don't think anyone should be ready to run this guy out of town yet. It seems like a lot of people are, but that's just where we are, I think, as a fan base. Um, I saw someone on Twitter. I don't want to get this wrong, but I want to say it was Luke Easterling. Um, he said he doesn't blame Bucks fans because they wouldn't know a uh, franchise quarterback if, they, if they're one in front of them because we've never right. had one. We've never <laughs> had one, so we don't know what one looks like, and everyone's just ready to run Jameis out of town as if, you know, let's give up on him, let's try to find another one, but there are so many more issues that the Bucks need to take care of. And, and Jameis really, I, I think the, the first scoring drive of the day looked the best maybe he's looked all season. He was fitting the ball in tightened windows. I think he was five of seven on that drive for 65 yards. And I came away from that drive thinking he looked the best he's looked in a long time. But, you know, what followed was frustrating. But at the same time, I, I don't think that this performance should get anyone riled up the way everyone is riled up. All right, you are listening to the Locked on Bucks podcast with James Yarko and Bailey Adams filling in for David Harrison this week. 
Bailey, let's go ahead and jump over to some takeaways that that we had from this game. And I'm going to start with you on your, you can either start with your number two or your number one biggest takeaway, however you want to do it, you know, save the best for last or just lead off strong. But give me one of your takeaways from, from this game, from whether it was the Buccaneers performance, the Lions performance, um, you know, however you want to uh, attack this. Yeah, so I have a positive and a negative takeaway. So perfect. I, I guess we'll go ahead with the positive first. And my positive takeaway is that Chris Godwin really looks to be the real deal. And I think he needs an expanded role going forward. Now there's only three games left, but they need to get him in the mix as much as possible. He left he left he led the team today in catches and yards and still didn't even really get that many targets. I want to say um he only had let's see, I have it right here. Um, he had six targets. He caught five of them for 68 yards, 13 yards a catch. I, I think he's looked very good as the season's gone on, and it seems like they've been easing him in. But I think it's it, there. He's ready for a bigger role, and he's ready to be number two or three as a receiver on this team. Yeah, I don't disagree with you one bit. I was we had my my stepson's birthday party was Sunday and I have two stepsons born on the same day, two years apart. So got a little hectic, (laughs) but we were standing around. We had the game on while we were partying, eating our sandwiches and Godwin made a reception. And I looked at my dad, who is the reason I'm a Buccaneers fan. So thanks a lot for that, dad. (laughs) And I said, this kid is going to be something really really special because he's showing flashes of exactly why they drafted him. And it's something that David and I have talked about before that, you know, Chris Godwin wasn't drafted to be the slot guy. He was drafted to be the number two opposite of Mike Evans for the future. He's getting acclimated. Now he's getting his feet wet, but they don't have to rely on him as heavily right now as they will in say, you know, two or three years from now. Even next year, you know, something that we we discussed on one of the roundtables was the future of Adam Humphreys and whether or not he's going to be on the team, you know, next season and beyond. And that's a situation where you can line up Evans and Godwin on the outsides, put Deshaun Jackson in the slot, and Godwin's going to create some problems. And one of the one of the comparisons that I made is Godwin, I, I think it was Wren. Daxed on on one of the episodes of the Pewtercast said that, you know, Godwin's not going to be a number one receiver. He's not going to break records or, or anything like that. But he may get into a Pro Bowl or two and have some, you know, real solid thousand yard receiving seasons. And and I said to him, I said, so it's basically like Chris Godwin is going to be the TJ Hushman Zada of the Bucks back during the Bengals heyday when Chad Johnson was, was tearing things up, but Hushman Zada was making pro bowls because all the focus was on Chad and he was able to make plays and he had a great rapport with Carson Palmer. That's kind of where I see Godwin fitting in and he's going to be a big impact player on this team for, for years to come, you know, all things go as planned. Of course, you know, you can't predict injuries or or if he left in free agency or anything like that. But Godwin's going to be a, a real big contributor, especially in, in the next few seasons. You started with a positive. I'm going to throw out a negative. Let's see if we can sandwich two negatives, you know, inside of two positives. 
and I'm going to stay with the same position. And one of my biggest takeaways is the inexcusable lack of usage of Mike Evans. This is beginning to just drive me completely insane. It's almost like they're game planning to use Mike Evans as a decoy all the time to get everybody else involved. I can understand using Evans as a decoy here and there, maybe in the red zone a few times. But, I mean, can the guy get any tar? What happened to the Winston-Evans connection of last season? They were unstoppable. And now Evans is is finishing games against the Lions with two receptions for 25 yards? I, I don't it's, see, yeah. Go I ahead. I don't see how that's happening. Um, I, I really – I think it's a strange thing because last year Jameis had to rely on Evans so often, you know, Evans was the number one and Brait and Humphreys were two and three. And it seems like this year, I don't know if it's, if it's just the way they're designing the offense, but it's almost like, Oh, they have all these new weapons. They have Deshaun Jackson, who they want to throw a deep ball to every other play. And they have OJ Howard, who they want to get involved. They have Cameron Brait, who, I mean, he didn't even have a catch till the fourth quarter. But it seems like Evans has been an afterthought. And as one of the top, I mean, we were talking about him as one of the top receivers in the entire league coming into this season. And he's just gone, he's been a ghost. And that's not necessarily all on him. He's not getting the targets. He's not, he's not, he's probably not having the best season that he could have. He would probably admit that, be the first one to admit that. But they're just not getting him involved enough either. For sure. Yeah. And there's definitely been some moments where we've seen, 2015 Evans where he's dropped passes that he should not have dropped but by and large it it seems like he's almost an afterthought when it comes to the game plan and it's just it's so frustrating I'm sure it's frustrating for him yeah it's it's a mess it's a mess Bailey the whole team is a mess it really is I don't know it's a disaster right now and there's just there's so much they have to fix in the offseason to even get back to I think gaining the tr- the fans trust back that they're actually could be, they actually could be a playoff team because everyone coming into this year thought, I mean, everyone was so on board. This was going to be the year they get back to the playoffs, maybe challenge for the division. And it's just, it fell apart so early and it never recovered. Well, Bailey, why don't you hit me with your other takeaway from uh, the loss to the lions? All right. So since we're sandwiching these, I have my other takeaway. It's a negative one. And I really don't think the Bucks are going to win another game until they figure out the pass rush. Because once again, I think they, the, it came out that Stafford threw the ball, I think, 44 times today, and the Bucks didn't register a sack. That's a lot of dropbacks without the Bucks even getting close to sacking him. And not, even a, not even a quarterback hit. hit. The three, they have three, I think they have three quarterback hurries. They didn't even have a hit on him. And they're not going to beat any team when, when they're doing that. Especially when you got the rest of the season, you have Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, and Drew Brees to face. I know, I mean, Matthew Stafford obviously isn't a slouch himself, but we're in a division where you've got three of the best quarterbacks in the league. And if you're not getting after them, you're not disrupting the pocket even a little bit. There's nothing the secondary can do from that from that point on to save your defense i mean the the secondary has its problems itself but they just can they can only do so much when the quarterback has five seconds to sit back there in the pocket and find an open man yeah and and i don't see the the pass rush getting fixed anytime soon and you know one of the things that 
that I thought about when I started reading, you know, no, no quarterback hits, no sacks, as you said, three hurries. I mean, Stafford had all day. We could have called him bubble boy because nobody was getting to him. How impactful was that injury to Gerald McCoy for that pass rush? McCoy is such a disruptive force taking on two, three guys at a time. You know, we, we all saw the, the picture that, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. He works for, I believe, Fox 13 that he shared last week that when the ball was snapped, McCoy was already engaged before there were some Packers offensive linemen out of their stance. His get off is incredible. So as soon as he went down, Clinton McDonald's not going to fill that role. Chris Baker's not going to fill that role. There, there's no player along this defensive line that has the skill set that Gerald McCoy does to disrupt and create pressure the way he does. He may not come away with the sack numbers, and I know that's some big bugaboo among fans who just look at the box score and they don't pay attention to what McCoy actually does play after play after play. But the minute McCoy went down, it's like, well, what little strength we had on the defensive line is now completely gone. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it was even t- it was tougher coming in because Clint McDonald was inactive today with a back injury. So right. Gerald McCoy really was the only one that we were going to get any sort of pass rush from. I mean, Chris Baker hasn't been what we expected him to be. Robert Ayers has declined this year. And he, I mean, he, I know he's coming off of an injury, but as soon as McCoy went down, I think it was kind of just, it was kind of a given that we weren't going to really get after the quarterback at all. And even with McCoy in there, I mean, he can only do so much against him getting double team, triple team. So we were going to get after Stafford, I don't know, three or four times maybe, but I don't think, I don't think they could do much even with him in there, but with him out, there was just, there was no way they were going to get after Stafford. Well, Bailey, my, my final takeaway is this, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but I look at this as a positive for the Bucks. One of the things that I harped on pretty hard uh, over the the course of the last week is the fact that when the Buccaneers get in the red zone, it seems like the only person that gets a target is Cam Brait. And it was almost like Cam Brait was erased from the game plan completely, which, I mean, that's not what I, I look at as a positive. You know, Cam Brait needs to be involved. You know, they threw the, the statistic up at the beginning of the broadcast that Brait and O.J. Howard had combined for the second most touchdowns among a tight end duo in the NFL. When they have the duo going, it, it's going to be an effective one for sure. But I was getting irritated at the fact that there was a guy like O.J. Howard, and there is a guy like Mike Evans, and there is a guy like Chris Godwin, and they're not getting any targets inside the 20-yard line. It's either a run or it's a throw to Cam Brait, and it was so easy to see coming. I mean, when when we're talking in our group chat and we're all sitting there saying, oh, well, here comes a pass to Brait, and then it's a pass to Brait, you think these defensive coordinators that make millions of dollars and know far more football than all of us put together ever possibly could, they know that it's coming. So it was nice to see there be a little bit more variety. Evans got a target in the end zone. It wasn't a great pass. It was kind of a, a goofy play. Could have been a flag, whatever. You know, O.J. Howard got a, a touchdown pass from inside the five-yard line. The Leonard Wester had a <laughs> touchdown. 
how does that even happen? But it was nice to see them calling plays that aren't the same thing that we've seen all season long. Throw to Cambrate, run, throw to Cambrate, field goal. Like that's our red zone offense. So I, I took it as a positive that they're starting to change it up a little bit. I mean, it's too little too late for sure, but I, I really like seeing other guys get involved when they're inside that that red zone and in that 10 zone when they're at the 10 yard line and, and closer. Yeah, definitely. I think you hit on a good point there with uh, what we expected to see when they drafted OJ Howard, we saw the two headed monster running those two tight end sets with both of them in there. If they can distribute the targets to those two and get them both involved at the same time, it's going to be deadly. I don't know how they haven't been able to do that yet. I don't know whether it's Jameis not getting on the same page with both of them at the same time or Dirk Cutter not wanting to call plays in a certain way to get them both involved. But like you said, I mean, they're combining for a lot of production, even without them being involved at the same time. If they're both going, if you have a pass to Brate, a pass to Howard, pass to Evans, if you're getting everyone involved, it's going to be hard to stop. And the Bucks offense hasn't been hard to stop this year. I don't know what the big problem is with – not being able to call plays, but I think you're totally right about them. Those two being able to to combine for such production that, I mean, we, we really expected to see when he was drafted. All right. Well, coming up, Bailey and I are going to dive into a little bit of controversial news that broke earlier to earlier Sunday. I guess I should say we're recording Sunday night for, for Monday morning, but we're going to get into a little bit of a controversy. Thanks in large part to Ian Rappaport and his sources. You are listening to the locked on bucks podcast. I am James Yarko joined this week by my good buddy, Bailey Adams from the pewterplank.com Bailey Sunday before, before the game started, Ian Rappaport was on the NFL networks, uh, NFL game day talking to rich Eisen. And he dropped a, a little nugget about how Jameis Winston is, I can't remember the exact phrasing he used, but basically he's at odds with Dirk Cutter, that he doesn't like the way Cutter's running such a predictable offense. He doesn't feel like he was supported during his injury, which was much longer of a span than we all believed or were led to believe. And that overall, he's just not happy. Now, after the game, Cutter was informed of this report. It was the first that he had heard of it after a last-second field goal loss to the Lions. And then all of a sudden, he's told that Ian Rappaport said that Jameis Winston doesn't like you. Uh, And Jameis was asked about it at the press conference. Cutter was asked about it at the press conference. They both vehemently deny it. You know, Cutter's saying, you know, I fully support Jameis Winston. I don't know who his sources are. I don't know where that report would have come from. It's false. Jameis comes out and says, you know, coach coaches his butt off. You know, players have to play, and I didn't play right, but coach supports me and and treats me, you know, the way he should, and, and there's nothing wrong with us. My take is simply this. Ian Rappaport is – just like Adam Schefter, he's just like Jay Glazer, he's just like Ken Rosenthal, they're not going to report something that they don't believe in. They're not going to report something if they don't 100% fully trust the source that it's coming from. 
Now, that's not to say that sources sometimes don't get things wrong. It happens. I don't think, I, I understand you have to ask the question in the press conference, but Dirk Cutter is not going to come out and say, yeah, they're right. I, I, I'm not a Jameis guy. I think we should have drafted Mariota. Jameis is not going to come out and say, oh, coach really doesn't like that. You should have seen all the footage. They cut out of hard knocks uh, of Cutter talking smack because he really, he just doesn't like me. I can't wait for him to be gone. They're not going to throw each other under the bus. They have to be professional. They don't want to ruin any opportunity that could be presented to either one of them in the future. And for all we know, they're telling the God's honest truth. They do have each other's backs. They do support one another. They do enjoy working with one another. I lean more towards Cutter's not going to throw his quarterback under the bus because should he be in a situation where he's looking for a new coaching job, there he, he's not going to give a team a reason to say, you know, we shouldn't hire that guy. He threw Winston under the bus in Tampa. May not be the best fit. Jameis isn't going to throw Cutter under the bus because if the Buccaneers are looking for a new head coach, you think a head coach is going to walk in there and say, you know what, I want this job after seeing your quarterback drag your head coach through the mud. To me, that was them protecting themselves. I believe Rappaport more than I believe what I heard out of Cutter and Winston. Yeah, I think there are a lot of ways to look at this, and you're totally right on all of that. Um, What I want to say is I think the way they handled it is the way they had to handle it. I think someone uh, told Greg, Greg Allman, like he didn't know already that, they weren't going to say, oh, yeah, we don't like each other. But then Greg Allman said, what, am I just not going to ask the question? Because you have to ask the question, but you know they're going to handle it in a professional way. And the way I kind of look at it is I think maybe they do have each other's backs professionally, but personally they might have issues. They might not agree on the way the offense is run, but you know out in the public they're going to be professional. Professionally they're going to have each other's back. But we don't know what's going on behind closed doors at one buck. The only people that do, obviously, are, are those two. And I don't know if, if anyone around them can, can tell, but none of them are going to come out and say it. So it, it's a big issue, I think, because we're not going to get clear, uh, clarity on this situation. And if I, the way I look at it, it's just another, another reason that Cutter probably will have to leave at the end of the year. They're probably going to fire him because I think – in a heartbeat, if the Glazers just have to come down to it and say, do we want to keep going forward with Jameis Winston as our quarterback, or do we want to just get rid of him and keep Dirk Cutter as our head coach? I think Cutter's gone instantly. I don't think it's even really a conversation they would have. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, they're not going to get rid of the first potentially franchise-changing quarterback that they've had you know, arguably since Doug Williams uh, or Steve Young, how you know, however you want to look at those two. But, I mean, this is the first franchise quarterback that this team has had in franchise history. They're not going to give up on him after three years. They've invested too much time, too much money, too high of a draft stock to give up on him before his rookie contract is even over. And they're not going to settle with two more years of losing under under Dirk Cutter until he can get the quarterback that he wants. They want to win now. They have pieces to win now. They have talent on this roster. 
So at the end of the season, the Glazers are going to say, well, are we a Jameis Winston team or are we a Dirk Cutter team if they decide that one of the two has to go? I think it's looking that way. I think it's looking like Cutter is going to be the one to go, but we don't know for sure. All we can do is speculate. We'll know soon enough. Yeah. Three more weeks, Bailey. (laughs) Three more weeks. I can handle it. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the Locked on Bucks podcast. A a little bit of real quick, exciting news. Uh, For those of you that remember David and I doing the Walking the Plank podcast, we, we told you that it wasn't gone. We told you it was just on a little vacation and that it would be back. And David and I are thrilled to announce that Bailey as well as Zach Sowers are going to be taking over the Walking the Plank podcast. So make sure that you're checking that out real soon. Uh, and that is pretty much it. Bailey, anything else for, for the good of the order here before we wrap things up? No, I'm just thanks for having me fill in. I know uh, this might not be the soothing sounds of David Harrison's voice, but he'll be back. <laughs> and I hope you guys enjoyed having me on. hope you guys will follow me and Zach over at the Walking the Plank podcast. Oh, it was it was great to have you on and and Brent, I didn't forget about you, buddy, but you're recording the instant cast right now. So we can't we can't double dip. So, but I I'm I promised you I was gonna have you on. I'm still gonna have you on. So just don't get upset. So for Bailey Adams, I am James Yarko. Make sure that you're following us on Twitter at locked on bucks. At the Pewter Plank, I am at jyarko underscore bucks, and Bailey is at Bailey J Adams twenty two. And thanks so much for joining us here on Mondays, Locked On Bucks.